Welcome to the Rogue Bogues podcast, NBL special here. We're going to recap the season that has just passed and give a grand final preview of the upcoming series between the Sydney Kings and the New Zealand Breakers. And I have a very special guest to join me, uh, former U of Albany star and, and Melbourne United player for, for a year or two, uh, NBL broadcaster and analyst, Peter Hooley. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, mate. That's a nice little intro. Shout out there. Shout out to the Great Danes. Capital. Yeah. New York. Nice career there, by the way. Appreciate it. Yeah, it was fun looking back. It feels weird looking back at it, especially around March. I enjoy March because obviously there's a certain clip that gets brought up every March that I have no yep. – I can't do anything about it. I just have to retweet it once it gets put up there and it's good to be able to continue <laughs> to live through that vicariously every year. And I guess the besides missing that, just the dollar beer Thursday nights or in college, that's what I really miss the most. But basketball was pretty good too. Oh, the college towns. Does it feel like it was 50 years ago for you as well? Yeah. For me, it does. Well, it does. But then when you get to your fifth year, because I broke my foot thanks to Dion Wade as my freshman year. So fifth year, I started getting called Perry Ellis because we know how long <laughs> he was around the college system for. So it does. It did feel good to eventually move on. But yeah, it feels like a, a long time ago. And every time you watch March Madness now, you just think about all those memories that you try and tap into. But geez, it feels like a long time ago. It does. We're getting old. We're getting old. Let's get into it. Uh, we're going to recap. All the teams that are no longer there. So we'll start with Illawarra, bottom of the table. Um, they were one of my few preseason picks I got right. I just didn't think they had enough to make the six. Um, I think I felt I felt like they competed despite their record. Uh, I don't know what your thoughts were on that. Um, just starting off there. Yeah, I definitely didn't have them making the six as well. I think you're spot on with. I didn't think they had enough pieces they put together in terms of roster turnover. Geez, they had it tough. I mean, they lost Ratan Mays, Antonius Cleveland. Duot Breath, Justinian Jessup, and I think I did the math. If I remember correctly, back at the start, they lost 55 and a half points of their 88 they averaged last season. Yeah. So to, to try and to fix that, it was always going to be a monumental task. But even still, I recently was just saying, if they managed just to keep Duot Breath, it would have been hard to do. But keep Duot Breath, Justin Robertson doesn't get hurt in the first game. So you've got Robertson, Harvey. We know it started with George King, but maybe they ended up replacing him with Michael Frazier, Sam Froling, and a Duot Breath type. That's a pretty solid starting unit they could have had to really roll out there. But Justin Robertson getting hurt in the first game was always going to make it hard. And then Peyton Seaver came in, he ended up getting hurt. So I did really appreciate the way they battled. I mean, they won three games. But if you actually go back and look at those games, I mean, the Kings ripped their hearts out in a game that they look like they deserve to win at some point. Um we try and look at those games, they really fought hard. And you wouldn't expect of them to look at the bottom of the ladder and see them with just three wins. Yeah, no doubt. And when you compare them to a team like Brisbane, who we'll get to next, I think there was a big disparity in effort. I mean, you know, Illawarra were not great record-wise, but I really respected the way they went about it, the way they finished the season. They didn't just, you know, pack it in and say, oh, shit, we're three games away. Who cares? Um, they, they really, you know, deserve a pat on the back, that whole organization for a really tough season. It felt like they walked under 50 ladders at one point because it seemed week to week oh. they kept getting a different guy hurt and, and you can't compete with that. But... um I mean, moving on, who who stays? They've got, you know, um, their big dogs are are staying for the most part, but Peyton C was a free agent, Ding Ding, Mathiang, and Frazier are the, are the main ones. Do you see any of those guys coming back or do they rebuild and retweak with some some new guys? Well, yeah, I think the, the 
Getting Justin Robertson back, I think him recommitting is great. So they have Justin Robertson. Tyler Harvey found his groove in the second half of the season, which was much needed. And they've been pretty vocal about wanting that marquee player. And whether that's a do-or-breathe type, I think it's hard because, I mean, you know better than anyone, getting that big local guy who can really hold down the floor. They've got Sam Froling, but I'm talking about in the center position, someone you can have to really rely on every single night is really hard to find. And if they can go out there and grab one of those, or maybe they go and get an import in that spot, then you maybe have that chat. Uh, so if they get the local, they can have bring back Michael Frazier. I think they'll try and have a big overhaul beside that because you just have to. If you win three games, you're going to review the season. You're going to review whatever happened. You can make the excuses, as we said, with all the injuries, but you just can't possibly put your fans in the club through another season that could go down that path. And they have they have two good pieces in Harvey and Froling. Mm. You know they got two good pieces to build around. And I think they need to open up the checkbook a bit more. That, that's probably the one strike you put on the Warriors. They're generally a low budget team. I'd be interested to see what where they where they sit this season. But I'd assume it'd be towards the bottom again. So they, you know, to your point, if they want to go after a, one of those marquee Aussies, I mean, Nick Cage just said he's not going to come back. He's going to stay in Japan for a couple of years. Angus Brandt, don't know his availability. A few other names like that. Brock Modem, not a five, but, you know, another marquee guy that you could bring back. You got to open the checkbook and that's that's something that Illawarra historically haven't really done bar the, the two previous years with Brian Gorgian. Yeah, no, you're, you're right. But again, you're spot on with, you're just going to have to make that move, aren't you? If the Angus Brandt type, just that one player that you can bring in, you can have that foundation and then you fill the rest of the pieces around the Tyler Harvey and Sam Froling. It's a really good starting point. I mean, Justin Robertson locked in. We didn't get to see him, but from all reports that we saw him in the Blitz, he's going to have a really good impact. So it's just got to be done. And they, they couldn't keep Antonius Cleveland. They couldn't keep Xavier Rattan Mays. And they came out and spoke about what happened in that offseason. But it's a very, very important offseason, you'd think, for Illawarra. Do you think they stay in Illawarra long term? Oh, it's hard, isn't it? I mean, with the, what we're going through, but... With what Gorge, what Gorge showed and what they wanted to do and where they got to, oh, I'm not sure. I want to because, geez, that was my favorite road trip, man. Going out there on the beach every time. Oh, beautiful, even, beautiful part of the world. Oh, beautiful yeah, part. But it, it, yeah, they're always in the questions of, of do they stay, do they go. There's always rumors floating about a second Sydney team. Is that Illawarra moving? There's always instability there, and and. You know, you, you just hope their ownership group can get it together yeah. and, and create some stability. Or, albeit, they probably the injuries didn't help, the record didn't help, and they had a they had a boatload of weeknight games, which we know, mm. you know, for any NBL team, weeknight games can sometimes be the death of you. Um, they're very hard to draw a crowd, even in Sydney on a Wednesday night or a Thursday night. It's hard to draw people. You know, kids are in school and whatnot. It's a very family orientated uh, league. But um, yeah, there's always that. There's always that question mark on Illawarra. Are they, they going to be there long term? But there's always there's more to do in Sydney on a Wednesday night than there is in in Wollongong. Surely, you'd hope so. <laughs> <laughs> no, I hope so. I mean, the, the history there from from the Hawks it's it's too great and too important to the league. So I'm with you. I really hope that it does stay. But those conversations are obviously going to keep happening with the way things are going. You know, I love I love the small market. You know, I know there's a lot of people out there that say, "Oh, how do we compete with the Kings and Perth and Melbourne United with the budgets?" I like the story of if they can build a solid roster, they don't have to necessarily spend as much as those teams, but it's the Dave versus Goliath. Whenever they do well, it's always that storyline of like, we're a small market team with a smaller budget and we're we're beating up on the big boys. And um, I really like that. So hopefully they can get it together. Moving on to Brisbane. Uh, for me, I mean, I don't want to sound too harsh, embarrassing season for them. Mm. Um, I, I really think they had no excuse to be this bad with the talent they had. When you have the likes of Aaron Baines, Okay, he didn't play basketball for almost a year. I get it, but just his his 
I guess his experiences along the way, a former NBA player, he knows what it takes. He should have definitely lifted the professionalism of that of that group on and off the court. You got Sobi, who was an all-league player, um, you know, highly touted free agent and local, and Tyler Johnson. You have those two, those three guys in your team. Um, that should be right, enough right there for the top six, but it just didn't happen. No, it didn't, and you're spot on. I mean, we're going to talk about teams that you just put them a line through them and say it was an absolute failure. There's no hiding that fact for the Bullets, and we know everything that happened off the court, the turmoil that happened, the coaching turnover, and there was probably, what, four to six weeks in the middle of that season where it was a real disaster off the floor for Brisbane, and no surprise, it took a toll on the players as well. So the more important thing for me was that you could kind of see those cracks from the players beforehand. So then when all that happened, it just doubled down and made it a whole lot worse. And yeah, I had them definitely in the top six just based on that talent alone. And as you mentioned, we hadn't seen Baines for a long time, but you expected him to come in and everybody else to really get around what a massive signing this was for Brisbane, what a massive signing this was for the league and Australian basketball fans to get to see the big fella back on the floor. So it was definitely disappointing. And yeah, I look back on it now and I keep thinking, was there a certain thing that you can pinpoint where it all went wrong or was it all just happening at the same time or was nothing ever going to work with the way it was all put together? They had the coaching change with James Duncan and I kind of thought if they'd gone from James Duncan once they decided that wasn't going to be the way they wanted to go forward, whether he was scapegoated or not and then people are going to have their own views on all that, if they'd gone straight to Vandy and said the assistant coach is going to pop in and kind of stuck with it, how would things have played out then? And we know Sam McKinnon, took over. Then there was talk once Vanderjet took over that they were going to bring in a fourth coach. So, man. Or Perro. Yeah, Perro came on board. Perro came on board. <laughs> and, man, I mean, it was a total mess. Now that you're really trying to lay, lay it all out there, it was it was unbelievable, actually, to kind of look back on. And they still had some injuries here and there. But you're right. You've got Baines. You've got Sobey. Sobey, we know he's an Olympian, but a top three MVP just a couple of years ago. He's also was coming back off some injuries. And Tyler Johnson, who flourished especially late in the season there is no way they should be anchored to the bottom of the ladder like they were. Yeah, just touching on on James Duncan, he was a former assistant with the Kings, so you know maybe a little bias on my end, but he, he was hired as the rebuild coach. Um, he was hired to, hey, rebuild our guys, get some development, we're not in win-now mode. And then within a year of that, you know, they went from, we don't have a budget for the big dogs to signing, you know, Tyler Johnson and Aaron Baines. And he's, he, you know, he's basically like, well, like what? What are we? Are we now trying to win now? Yeah, we're trying to win now. We just and, and so his role completely changed as well. So it was, you know, and that's not excusing their performance under him. You know, he, he will even tell you like we should have been better. But what you mentioned, Baines and Sobi, I had a conversation with him after um, he got moved on, and he was like, "Man, these two guys hadn't played, for, you know, mm. hadn't played consistent basketball for for Baines a year, and, and Sobi six, seven, eight months, like consistent basketball." And I'm trying to glue all this together and manage minutes, and so he had a pretty tough task. But yeah, when, when you when you factor that in with the instability and in ownership, which continues to this day, I mean, Sam McKinnon just let go a couple of what, a week ago now. Um, they've hired a, their guru uh, who's going to be still US based to oversee mm. this thing I mean that's another that's just tough for me you have to be on the ground yeah. in this league things happen quickly injury replacements hey we've got a chance to sign this guy you know when uh, let me call the US oh shit it's 2am there oh they'll call me back in 12 you've lost your free agent yeah. you've lost you've lost someone you need so I'm still kind of a bit concerned about Brisbane. Uh, I, you probably know Justin Schuler, who they just hired as the head coach, better than me. But you know, a fresh-faced head coach that's never been there. You got a pretty headstrong locker room. Uh, the verdict's still out for me, even next season with Brisbane. 
Yeah, no, 100%. Uh, I mean, we'll talk about that signing in a sec, but I want to go back to the point that, that you made with James Duncan. And I spoke to him at the Blitz, and he was really keen to catch up because we – I called the two pre-preseason games. They played against Melbourne United in Melbourne, and he was kind of really upbeat saying, look at this style of basketball that we're playing. Mind you, Baines wasn't playing – in those games, neither was Sobey, neither was Tyler Johnson. So it was a bunch of NBL1 guys running around in terms of Jason Kennedy was controlling everything. But they just looked like a really beautiful style of play. Once the lights came on, that didn't happen. But as you mentioned, the win now, how we went from a rebuild to a win now, I don't think enough fans actually really understood how much that impacted the change of mentality because they're two – take out Tyler Johnson. They're two main stars who are – Everyone expects to be stars of this league. As you said, Baines, Sobey. Baines hadn't played after coming off that horrific injury, but Sobey was dealing with... Sobey hadn't played professional basketball since last January. Mm -hmm. So he hadn't played any sort of basketball. It was always going to take time. If you're two main guys haven't played for that extended period of time and you're trying to win now and a win now mentality where we know how quick the NBL season is in a lot of games... You always look at it like it's impossible. It's really impossible to try and win now when we've got two uh, two key guys coming off such massive layoffs. So really, to think about that, it's you're kind of wondering. Well, that was really never going to be likely unless they somehow miraculously. Because what was it? Probably took six to eight weeks for Sobi to start playing full game minutes until over thirty minutes. He was on a minutes restriction early on, and. Baines was always going to take a while to get a bit of the rust off and they were trying to figure out do we put our whole offense around Baines, which, I mean, we can both sit here and say they should have done that from game one because we do think that's what should have happened. But he hadn't played for so long. He's still got to get his touch back when you're competing in practice. is a lot different to games. So, yeah, it's very interesting. And now Justin Shuler, he was my coach at Killsyth in NBL one a few years ago. To be honest, I didn't even hear anything about that signing. I kind of woke up to a notification that – uh, he'd been accepted or took over the head coaching role. I love that D Max on board. I think that's going to be great. But huge, yeah, massive. I, I think that's. I didn't think that was the path they were going to go down. Really, I, as you mentioned, I think that they were maybe going to have to splash some and and get one of those big name coaches back to really try and rebuild things. But yeah, it's going to be a very very interesting off season for the Bullets. It is, and and they, exactly that. I, I think the DMAC thing, they had to do it with a fresh-faced coach. I think DMAC's going to probably put that bad cop hat on at times, um, in my opinion, and he's going to be the one that – he has the respect, I think, of the room, uh, probably more so than Shuler, unfortunately, at this point. Mm. You know, everyone knowing DMAC's history, and I know guys that work with him love him, and he's, he's directly honest, has a good sense of humor, will make you work. So I think that I heard this – you know, there was a potential for this signing about two weeks ago, and I'd, I'd also heard that, you know, DMAC coaches at a private school in Melbourne, and he's with United, he's got a lot of things going that, that they'd have to open the checkbook, and they weren't willing to do that. Well, maybe they have. Um, maybe they have, but I think that's a very, very good signing for him. But uh, yeah, I'm just the verdict's out for, for me. I think, look, Baines, speaking to him, you know, he, he'll even tell you he had no lift this whole season. Like he, he was missing bunny dunks. He couldn't get off the ground. You could tell he was kind of running in mud. And that was because, you know, the dude was laying on his back. Exactly. For, he couldn't walk for two or three months, like at all, out of a bed, right, with the injury that he had. So I feel like if he, if he he's a hard worker and he smashes the weight room, if he gets a good off season in, I think he, he can be the leader that they need. But, you know, Baines is a headstrong guy. Sobey's a headstrong guy. There were rumors that they they butted heads a little bit, which 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 happens mm. in all you know all, all all teams, all sports with headstrong people. You're going to have it. Can they, 
you know, get that relationship amicable enough. Not not saying it isn't, but get it enough that hey, we're we're going to work together and we have our differences of, of of opinions on how things should run or whatever it is. So then other guys kind of fill in with that lead. But it felt like when momentum shifted with a bad start to that season, which you mentioned, you know, two injuries to to Sobey and Baines, you know, running the rust off, they just that momentum just kept going downhill and everyone just kind of was, was more inclined to go individual and, and, and shit at the fans. So no surprise. But they're free agents. Uh, Cadiz are free agent. Harrison, Krebs, Digbao, Tyler Johnson, Harry Froling uh, are free agents at the moment. Uh, would you bring any of them back? Well, it's hard. I mean, the first one you're looking at is Harrison, but I thought the big fella Gak in the middle when he had his opportunity, I thought he was unbelievable. And I was a massive fan. I, I Just those guys who we talk about effort and what the Hawks did and we were disappointed with the Bullets effort. I thought when Gak got his opportunity, he shone for the Brisbane Bullets. So that's what I'm looking Rumored at. Rumoured to have signed elsewhere though or, or given a promise apparently. Well, I mean, yeah. I mean, the promise, again, he's shown now to the rest of the league, okay, I'm not going to be a starting big man right now, but you give me that consistent backup minutes and I'm going to deliver for you. I'm going to pull down five offensive rebounds a game if that's what I want to do and I'm going to get dump off dunks. So that's one that I think they really need to try and make sure they keep because you have him not only to be a backup to Baines, but to learn from Baines and that professionalism every single day in practice is only going to make him better. So, yeah, in terms of free agents who's not there, I mean, we're going to probably talk about it, but Will McDowell-White's the, the big room. He's the big name of who wants to to put their checkbook open for Will McDowell-White. The Brisbane Bulls rumoured, no surprise, to be in that. That's kind of what they need, I think. Put Sobey to that two spot where he can handle the ball if he has to to bring it up, but really have that uh, that star point guard who can do it for a long period of time, I think can only better be beneficial. But I think he's going to be asking for a whole lot of money when we tell what. He is from Brisbane though. That's I know. I mean, they missed the – Mm. And they missed the boat the first time, didn't they? they that's all. <laughs> um, but he also is very close with Modi Mayo. I was thinking about this today. He loves Modi Mayo and, and what he's meant to his career. So, yeah, that maybe the enticement of being home. And as we said, they opened the checkbook, obviously, for DMAC. And some clubs, if you want to get off the bottom of the ladder, you're going to have to do that at some stage. Either you, even if you're a small market team, big market team, but that's just the lay of the land. And that's how you've got to do it. If you want to win, you've got to be successful. You just have to do it. And that's that's the one I'll go after if I'm Brisbane. I'd overpay. I'd overpay for McDowell mm-hmm. White. And had a fantastic season. He's from Brizzy. I mean, who, do you really want to stay in New Zealand? The sun doesn't come out. You grew up in <laughs> Brisbane. You saw the beautiful sunshine in Queensland every day. I think that'd be one that they should definitely circle. Uh, Harry Froling. Who knows where he's going to be with with the injury that he's had. Hope he gets well with that. Uh, do you think Tyler Johnson Johnson's seen again in the NBL? I think he's seen again in the NBL. The, all the reports and, and chatting to other people around him, he loved his time in Australia and in the league. I think it kind of took him by surprise what the league was like and the atmosphere and everything. I don't think it'll be in Brisbane. I think if they do get that Will McDowell-Wide type signing in the point guard spot, you move Sobey to the two, so that kind of really makes that log jam. I think he's too good to be coming off the bench. I know he did flourish a bit down the stretch. I think another team might look around and say, hang on, we could really use you slotting into our two-guard spot. I'd love to see him in the in the league again next year, and hopefully some teams pull pull their hat out and say, you know what, come join us and maybe lock him in for a couple of years. Yeah, he can definitely be seen elsewhere. I, I didn't mind him off the bench just because it, it, it didn't fit with, with him and Sobey together. It just didn't work. Uh, it was clunky. They're both ball-heavy guys, so I think one of them had to take a back seat. All right, Adelaide. Uh, 
a, a big spender who fell flat. I'm, I'm interested to see their numbers at the end of the season too. I, I think they were top three spend. When I, when I do the quick math on the guys they brought in, you mentioned Cleveland. Got you know We were after Cleveland, the Sydney Kings last season, and then once we found out Adelaide's offer, we were like, oh, <laughs> good luck. Like, we, can't, we can't pay that. Um, and then obviously Franks, uh, the whole Randall experiment didn't work out. Ian Clark definitely wasn't cheap because he had all the leverage. Daniel Johnson's a legacy player for him. Kai Soto, okay, next star, so it doesn't really cost you much in your cap. But they they spent they spent big and they they paid big for two of the big name imports from that previous season. Two big big names, um, Mitch McCarron. I mean, you you probably know mm. him better than better than I. He's you know we were we we had initial talks with him leading into um, him signing with Adelaide and said, oh, bit high for us. Uh, so doing the quick math, they're, they're up there in the league and. I felt like they tried to buy a championship, they, but you know, without sounding too harsh, you can't buy culture. And they started off on the back foot with with Randall, and and that whole experiment. And it looked like he was a problem, but not the whole problem. It looked like everyone felt like, okay, they they got rid of Randall, everything's fixed now. Uh, there were still some issues there. You could tell with body language and some stuff even later on in the season. Just squandered a bunch of games throughout the year that they shouldn't have. The Cairns game probably oh. is a big one with it. Up 18, 20 points and just squander that. Even more, I think, at one point and squander that lead to, to lose the game. They win that game and they're in the mix on the last day. To, they don't have to fight for percentage, right? So very interesting. I mean, how did you see their season? Oh, I mean, we talk about Brisbane being a failure. I think Adelaide's still the most disappointing season for my. I had them well and truly in the top four, if not top two, basically nearly winning it all because – they came out, I think John Casey had a few pre or uh, mid-game interviews with the ownership group and saying that, yes, that they knew they were going to be spending a lot because they want to win. They want to win a title and they know that's what it takes. And for it not to pan out in not only not winning a title, but not even making the top six in the playing tournament, there's it's nothing short of disappointing. And um, there's going to be plenty of changes, you would think. And the reason I had them so high is because – Anytime you bring in a new import to the league, there's an adjustment period where you kind of see, can they get adjusted to the NBL style of play? Can they get adjusted to the physicality or the way that it's officiated? Normally, it takes a bit of time. And normally in that second season, they can really start to flourish and and go from there, if not having a breakout first season. But Cleveland was enormous last season. Franks was great until Brisbane kind of hit that wall late in uh, in his first year at Brisbane. So I thought, okay, they've got Franks, they've got Cleveland, they've got Mitch McCarron, and then we hadn't seen what happened with, with Craig Randall. We didn't know a whole lot about it, even though anyone who had their ear to the ground would have heard those whispers when the signing had happened. Uh, but, yeah, I still thought, okay, they've got great pieces. But you're right. I mean, the NBL, out of all other leagues around the world and probably Euroleague's another where culture is just so important. And that's why I'm not surprised they went over there and beat an NBA team because you all you have to do is go out there and shoot. They don't have to lock in on defense. They don't have to run a whole lot. They got hot, taking nothing away from what is going to be a historic moment. It was awesome to see. And going back to watch the highlights the other day as I was writing a piece on Adelaide and I thought these highlights are going to live on because it was just so fun to watch. And that's just what they kind of banked, I think, the season. Or after that, they thought we we're going to come back and – we're going to do that. We're going to catch fire. We're going to win a lot of games. And offensively, they had their struggles still, but they still had enough points to win. But defensively, I'm not sure I've ever seen a team collectively not buy in consistently enough on the defensive end and end up failing the way that they did. And the NBL, especially in its recent history, in the last four or five years, if you're not a top three defensive team, you're not going to win a title. That's just the way it is. The NBL is so defensively orientated and look no further than the jack jumpers. They've proved that in the first two years. If you're a 
even a half decent defensive team and an elite offensive team, you're going to be competing for a title. But if it's just not there enough, you're just not going to win. And that's what we saw with Adelaide. Yeah, I think that the Phoenix game put a target on their back too. Um, and I, f- I felt like throughout the season they they played the Kings when I was up there in Sydney, and they they belted us on our home floor because they they did exactly that. They just got hot, mm. right? But it felt like they they kept relying on that. It's like, oh, we'll get hot eventually during this game and beat you. But it's like, yeah, but you're down fifteen twenty, and you're not getting stops. Like you're giving up first side blow by dribble penetration. You're giving like swing swing back up layups up. Like it's very hard to then go back and put that back on the scoreboard to to keep the game close. So I felt like they relied on. You know, like you said, their defense was so bad. I oh, will just outscore you. We'll just out, but you can't do that in this league, especially with the way, you know, the game's officiated. It becomes a half court grind. If you're playing the jack jumpers, they're going to hold and grab you and make <laughs> make your offense just as tough. So it's, it is it is interesting to see what they're going to do. But the, the big elephant in the room for them is, is Daniel Johnson. What, what they do with him, he's a free agent. He's a he's, he's been there. I don't even know what year this is for him. Stubble digit years in, in, in Adelaide. He's been there his whole career. Uh, but it really looked when when they got that scoring in the one two three spot, even the four spot with Franks. I, I thought Daniel Johnson wasn't a good fit. He's not he's not great at the five spot defensively. Um, he's better at the at the four, even though he's slow footed. He's probably better accustomed to it because he's not a rim protector. He's not physical, but he's a bucket at the other end and causes a mismatch. But I didn't feel like that could be utilized as much because you've got you've got a bunch of scorers on the wings and and Franks, who's a, who's a 3-4. So it's like, I like the move of them putting Soto in the starting lineup because it gave you a rim presence, but he was still kind of inexperienced to, to, to play that role because he's trying to, hey, I don't want to just be a defensive rebounding big man. I'm, I've got bigger aspirations than that. I want to show you I can get in my bag. So he was becoming frustrated. <laughs> then you had DJ Mad coming off the bench. So it all kind of imploded on him. But the, the elephant in the room by everyone in the NBL world is, does DJ finish his career in Adelaide? I don't think he does. And it's so I, I mean, I lived with Daniel Johnson in 2009 when I was training with the 36ers, so I know him very well. And just the, everything that he went through, you're right, in terms of the fit, he's been a mainstay in Adelaide for so long. He's had an unbelievably successful personal career with the 36ers. And you're right, he's been a bucket in his whole career. He's just the, the way he goes about it is so unique compared to any other big man. And I, I think once that rest of the team got signed, you kind of looked at the roster and you thought, well, okay, we've got Daniel Johnson who's been an all-time great for our club, but now all of a sudden he's an outlier in terms of we've got this run-and-gun type athletic team. We've got Robert Franks, as you mentioned, Kai Soto. So I'm not sure he does end up staying in Adelaide. I know he's got his family there. He's a father now. and It's going to be interesting to see what other teams can utilize his services because, as you mentioned, even though he's getting older, he still can be a mismatch on the other end and he scores in a variety of ways. And He's someone on a personal level that I'd love to see win a title. So I, I don't know where that is. I think he's still probably capable of accepting now, okay, I'm getting older. If I need to come off the bench, then so be it. I can still have my spark. And that's just someone I'd really love to see win a title because I think he's had a tremendous season. Uh, tremendous career, sorry. Yeah, it will be interesting. And, and all, all things considered, you know, maybe it is time for him to move on. I think he could be really valuable for a, for a championship, as, mm. as a team with championship aspirations to have him off the bench um, and bring him in against that second unit, you know, someone now in that second unit, your second unit four or five man guard and DJ is like, good luck. And then you don't have to play him that 30, 35 where you, you know, you, teams can try to go at him defensively. You play him that 15 or 20, you go, hey, hey if, you, if you're five for five, you're going to play closer towards 30, but we're going to play you as a six man gunner role at the big spot. He can create, create a lot of cross matches. So it'll be interesting there. So he's a, he's a free agent. Kai Soto is a free agent. There's rumors, there's, there's 
word saying that he's not coming back, doesn't want to come back. Dinger Kuth's out of there. He's a free agent. Hiram Harris, I like him. Um, I thought he was one of the few guys in that roster that played hard at both ends, um, played two ways and, and really physical, kind of an undersi- undersized He's pretty much an undersized five, yeah. but he, he can play that that position because he's physical. Ian Clark's free agent. And Nick Marshall, one of the young talents of the league, will be interesting to see if some some teams out there throw any cash at him to get him out of Adelaide. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. And uh, again, it's the, the Hiram Harris. I was a massive fan of Hiram Harris and Kyron Galloway. I mean, the Galloway brothers. I mean, you know how exceptional yep. and how bright their future is. But I, I looked at it and I was thinking throughout the course of the season – you almost had to get to a point where they've spent all this money to win now. And yes, these young fellas deserve their opportunity, but where's that opportunity going to come from? Because you can't take minutes away from Franks when you know what he's going to be doing. Daniel Johnson was there. So I kind of struggled to see that consistent opportunity from those young guys. And can you keep both Galloway and Harris as that backup big man, that backup local to, to really build around it and to really try and help their career grow? I'm, I'm not sure. And, yeah, there's going to be some big changes. Anytime you, you fail the way they did and have had no secrets in saying that they're going to go through that review and they're going to make some some big changes going forward. And even still, as you went, that Cairns game, I, I thought they did turn a corner. They won four games in a row, I believe, going into that a Cairns balling. game yeah. uh, in New Year's Eve and up 18 with six minutes to go on the clock and <laughs> yeah. fell apart. I turned it off and went to New Year's yeah. celebrations. Well, and then I looked apart. at the scores like, what the hell? And, that's, and that almost looked like it zapped their season completely, even though they had their struggles. They to lose the unlosable that should not ever happen. And after that, they did. They won one game after that straight away, and that was against the Hawks, which they should be winning. And then they lost five straight. So that really looked like okay. That really took the any win they had out of their sails to lose the unlosable game. And I don't know what happened after that, but it's you lose that game. On New Year's Eve in Cairns, there's going to be some drowning of Cyrus and Gilligans, I'm sure. Yeah, no doubt, no doubt. And that's that was probably a testament, like you said, to to the way the season went. It was just um one of those things. But they've, you know, they've got some decisions to make there. It'd be interesting to see who they who they bring back and um whether they just go a whole different route. But they're, you know, pressure's obviously on CJ as well. It's third year now. Uh first year was a complete kind of rebuild and the giddy thing and development and all that. So you understood that. But last season they no excuse to not be a top six team. So we'll watch that space and see how they go. But a lot of big decisions for them. Melbourne United, your former soccer club basketball club, sorry about that. Um <laughs> your former basketball club. I, I love using that joke. It never gets old. But close miss for them. I mean they were they were part of that whole plain final day percentage. They needed a lot of things to go right. I thought when they, you know, Ray John Tucker hit that buzzer beater to have him win by ten or eleven, I thought, oh that's that's gonna be tough for for Perth. But um, you know, Kings obviously Walter and had a busted up wrist so we decided to to give him the night off and make sure that was right for the following week and, and, and Perth got that win but look an aging and injury real roster um, probably on a, a lot of guys on their last legs on this roster um, I'm, I'm expecting big changes uh, you know elephant in the room for them Ely with his concussions I mean you feel horribly for him I love him I would love to give him the Kings uniform I'm not going to lie I hope this isn't tampering but I love the way he goes about it every team needs a guy like that he just Plays his role. His scoring's actually gotten better the last couple of seasons. Been been more aggressive. I mean, we used to we used to muck him when uh, we Weaver coach. We used to dare him to yeah. shoot threes, <laughs> and now he's actually a knockdown three point shooter. So Huck Porty coming off the Achilles. Uh, Chris Golding last legs question mark. He's still playing at a high level, but he's getting older. Um, he does that. He has had calf and injury issues. You hope he has a healthy season, but he's getting older. I thought the imports ended up being solid. I thought Lee was really good pickup for him. So it'd be, it'd be good for them to bring him back. Uh, I've also heard from the rumor mill this is Vickerman's last season. So I heard oh, wow. that he's, gonna, he's doing one more season. 
and then going to Asia from what I hear. Mm. So that's the mail I've got. One, one more year for Vickerman. So then you're like, okay, what do they use this year as? Do they use it as a, as a rebuild to, to springboard that next phase of the organization? Uh, or does Vickerman go, look, I want to go all in to win another one? Um, just quickly, they're free agents, Newley, Barlow, Peatling, Oquera, Humphreys, XRM, Marcus Lee, and Rajon Tucker. So they you know, they have a whole whole sheet of free agents and this could be a complete rebuild for United. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. I had honestly haven't heard anything about the the Dean Vickerman thing but again it's not surprising we've seen it haven't we uh, numerous times with any coaches that have had success in the NBL and that, that Asia opportunity whether it's just a couple of years or you want to go and, and, and try something different and get a different sort of check and all that so it's, it'll be well deserved but if that is the case that firstly it's a little surprising that those conversations didn't happen maybe with Justin Shuler and saying okay if, you, if we've got Dean one more year you've been here you're I was shocked by that too and that's because yeah. that's the yeah, first time I'm hearing it I would have thought okay well if that's what's going to be we're going to have one more year maybe we start the rebuild and then Shuler takes over or we're just going to have another crack which I, I expect them to have another crack but then I would have said okay well then Justin Shuler you've been around here long enough this is perfect for you to step in and and kind of take over and run the reins from there. So, yeah, that's firstly that's- – Well, generally the extension would happen yeah. uh, for Vickerman, right? right? I mean, he's in the final year of his deal, so maybe maybe we're wrong. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe my mail was wrong. Um, I've been wrong before. But his extension would come up, yeah, in, in the next month or two. I haven't been to his new house. I think he's got a, a new house – um, down in Elwood Way, and uh, I, I don't know. He loves Melbourne. He loves Melbourne. So, but again, that is enticing in Asia. But back to to Shaili, That's that's the big one for me now. As you mentioned, any club wants Shaili. And in terms of those blank checkbook guys, Will McDowell White in in this free agent series, but Shaili was that over the last few seasons. Where now his offense has got better. Every single club who wants to compete for a title needs him. You just want to have him on your team and. Those concussions are really worrisome, and I think he's been ruled out of the NBL one season already, which is no surprise. And whether he plays in the World Cup for the Tall Blacks, I'm not sure. And then what happens next year? Does Melbourne United have to think, okay, well, do we have to get a really solid backup point guard in case something happens with Shea, or can we trust Shea to be able to not miss as many games as he did last season? And, and it's the way he plays too, that's, right? That's like it's my worry, he's, man. He's, that's he's a, my worry. Yeah. That's it. Dives on loose balls, charges. He's got his head in the scuffle all the time. Someone, Very Delhi-like the way yeah, he plays. Yeah, someone you know? was saying uh, after that last hit that he took against Adelaide, which was pretty innocuous. I mean, it was an elbow to the jaw, and you could t- see straight away on the floor he knew, and even and CG knew as well, and, and they, he really tried to like walk it off, but knew that something wasn't right. And, and someone made the joke of, oh, well, maybe you can just try and get a helmet and play in a helmet. But even my first initial thought was, it's not going to help a guy like Shay because – He's on the floor all the time. He's putting his body to take charges. He's getting hit. If it's not getting hit in the head, he's got the whiplash from diving on the floor. That's just the way Shaley plays. So, I mean, I hope that he can stay healthy and doesn't get another one because I just love watching the way he goes about it. But that's going to be that really big question mark for me for Melbourne United. Do you have to prepare for potentially if he goes down again or do you can have enough faith in him getting through the season? And the other one, you said Marcus Lee. That's the question mark for me because Ariel Hook-Porty – has made it clear that he'd like to stay around. I'm not sure if anything's been done formally, but if he stays around, then they he would have potentially started. But now he's coming off the Achilles. Does he come off the bench and yet you, you sign Marcus Lee? But then there's Isaac Humphreys as well. So there's a bit of a conversation to be had there, which would make things interesting for United. 
Yeah, it is. But I mean, yeah, with, with the Huck Potty thing, you, you kind of probably have to go with a more solid big, like a lean, mm. um, just as an insurance policy. And you can play either of them off, off the bench. You bring Huck Potty back off that, you bring him off the bench. And if he outplays Lee over the course of the season, then you, you flip him, right? Yeah, you have true. that luxury. And we know Vickerman's not afraid to, you know, he's bench golding before. Like he's, he, he doesn't <laughs> care. Um, so. Who do you do you have any of the free agents coming back? So Newley, Barlow, Peatling, Aquera, Humphreys, XRM, Marcus Lee, Rajon Tucker. So if Marcus Lee discounting him, any of those guys coming back? Well, Aquera is one. I mean, you're trying to look at guys who who show that promise for the future. You need a couple of those young guys to to stick by and, and to try and again. You want to see them grow underneath your club. You want to see them be those staple names to continue to get better at your club. It's Aquera and. Uh, I'm not sure, but Barlow, we know he retired last year. Well, uh, technically didn't retire, told me that he was just stepping aside. I think he always knew there's a potential he might be needed. And now he was dealing with concussions as well down the back end of that season. So I, I can't see Dave Barlow going around again. So maybe it is a queer. And then you have to have the conversation about Ray John Tucker, who at the start of the season, a lot of people were saying, is there a chance that Melbourne United get rid of Ray John Tucker and Jordan Caroline? Then he started to find his feet. I think he understood the way the league was playing. I think it was no surprise once Melbourne started running things through Golding and letting him take a lot of shots. He still shot at 40%, averaging over 11 threes attempted. Then things started to open up and, and Tucker really exploded on the scene in the second half of the season. So maybe that's a conversation that they're having. And yeah, there's going to be some some big changes, I would think, at Melbourne United. And yeah, we're interested to see what happens. Yeah, I, we I think we all expected more uh, from Rajon Tucker when 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 that when United signed him. Um, Chase, you know, I'll say this on record, gave a sigh because he's like, "Fuck, they got a good one," yeah, you know, because he he coached him over there. So we were like, "Oh shit," you know, <laughs> that's not good. That's not good. But he just didn't start off as well. Um, but he definitely solidified himself towards the back back end of that season as a as a as an import and what an import should be. XRM's the other interesting one. It kind of moves around a fair bit. He cops some heat at times, but he's a bucket. He just, mm -hmm. I guess defensively, teams just can't rely on him to be solid enough defensively to outweigh his offensive output. Yeah, but you're right. He's a bucket now. He's been in the league a couple of years. He understands it. And when you need someone to score the ball, he just finds a way to do it. Uh, we know he got engaged. I believe his fiance is from the New South Wales area. I think she's from Sydney. So uh, I'm not sure what happens. I, was, I would assume he's one of those guys that I think is as an import who would just love to stay around the league now and, and continue to grow, maybe even naturalise one day. He seems to really enjoy himself in Australia. I, I can't see it being at Melbourne United. So I think other teams could pop up. But again, as we spoke about, NBL is so defensively orientated. What teams can afford to have him if they can still cover for, for him on that other end. And I don't think he's a horrendous defender. I just think he really values getting buckets. And if that's what's going to get you paid, then that's what you've got to do. No doubt. You think Newley's done? Oh, I do. But then I, now I'm starting to think that he's going to reinvent himself as a bit of a backup foreman. He looked good in the in the power forward spot that he was playing for a little bit with all the injuries to Melbourne United. Again, what team could see that down the end of the bench? And maybe it's one of those teams that said, look, we can use him as a backup four in certain matchups, but we've got a really young team and we just want that veteran guy to really help out and continue to grow and help with the young guys for one more year. I'm not sure. I can't write off these old fellas anymore. I just don't know. They just seem to find yeah. another way to, to end up on the roster and just provide certain things that younger guys or those younger 30s who are in a similar position can't offer in terms of experience and I guess that different versatility.
Yeah, and he's, he, I spoke to him at the NBA Awards night. He said he's kind of enjoyed playing the four. It's kind of revitalized him a little bit. He create, creates a mismatch for him because mm. he's still quick enough with his age to go by guys at the four. And let's be honest, there's no real fours in the league. Not many that that you're scared of a post up, right? I mean, Mitch Creek, maybe if you, if you put an undersized guy on him, can go down there and post up a little bit. But there's there's not many even teams that run an offense to post up a four man mm. these days, right? So, you know, you're playing the stretch, you're playing five five guys out, or you or you're posting like a like a Williams from Southeast Melbourne going four out one in. You're not going to two inside. So it'd be interesting to see where he ends up. I could see you know a Tazzy or someone who's got like two or three roster spots left yep. that are like, hey, we could use you to be a, a nice role player on our bench. So we will uh, we'll watch that space for them. But they've got a, a lot of decisions to make. Southeast Melbourne Phoenix, uh, <laughs> um, man, Groundhog Day for them. Them, the way they finished their season, they, uh, you know, just 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 had the game. It's very reminiscent to that that series against Melbourne United um, in, in the semifinals a couple of years ago, where they, they had the lead in the fourth and looked like they were going to a granny, and then capitulated and didn't make it. And the same thing with Perth in that playing. But um, Simon Mitchell's gone. Um, I would say it's a mutual decision. He said that he's put his hand up and said he doesn't want to move forward. I, I don't think they would have brought him back anyway. He should be commended though. He was part of the. Mm. You know, their first couple of seasons of starting a club, always very hard to do. So I think he's left them in pretty good stead. But it just seemed like in those close games, you know, at times he kind of just didn't know where to go, what to do, you know, just kind of panicked a little bit. And you could see whenever you made a run at Southeast Melbourne in close games, at times they would they would fold and and things would just go awry. Mainly the defensive end, they just give up a lot of easy buckets in, in stretches. But um be interesting to see who they who coaches them. I've heard some names on the grapevine, um, and, and there's a lot of names out there. I mean, I don't think Gorge, Gordon's one that's floated. I, I don't think he comes back uh, unless they open up a massive checkbook to match Asia, which I, I just don't think they'll do. Um, they did have an injury riddled, inconsistent season. They didn't have long, long term injuries, but they just had guys that would be out, like you know. Brokoff would be out for two weeks, then come back, then be out for three weeks. And then they had a bunch of guys like that. Um, they're imports as well, in and out of the lineup. So it's very hard to get continuity throughout a season. It's no excuse. I don't. Every, every team goes through similar problems, but it, it took the wind out of their sails, I think. And um, I guess the other question is, can, can Creek, is he, is he the leader to take him to the promised land? I mean, he's been there a couple of years now and they haven't got to that illustrious grand final and they're starting to spend a bit more. I love them bringing back Williams, a uh, solid big man mm. in this league. It's, it's great to see them wrap him up early and identify like, hey, this guy's this guy's good. He's got a good vibe about him. His personality seems like he's a bit of a larrikin, fits in well with, with NBL Australian culture. So that was great. Um, one question I do have though, has it, become, has it come down to Adnan versus Foxwell for that backup spot? I think it has. Um, and who, who do you go with? Yeah, look, uh, for the Phoenix overall, I mean, firstly, you started with, with Simon Mitchell. You've got to lock in a coach, don't you, before we start to think about what their roster looks like. And I think regardless of them not winning a title, I mean, they're still a new team in the league, what he's built in terms of the culture, especially in that region. And I went down to be courtside for a couple of those games at the State Basketball Centre. And, I mean, that's a credit to to where they've started and what he's brought them to. So I've uh, got a massive kudos to him he's obviously my assistant coach back in 2018 I, I know he's a, a great person and a great coach it'll be interesting to see what he does next but you, you mentioned the injury bug and I did a bit of reading about this the other day and tried to look back so they played 15 games where their main starting five began the game and that's not even including the games where Brockoff got injured during the game and sat down uh, or Gary Brown or Trey Cow. and of those 15 they won 11 of them so when things were all going well and they're starting five that they they paid for, they recruited to try and be great pieces, it looked like they could play well. 
Brockoff and Gary Brown played 20 to 29 games and Trey Kell 24, but you're right. They missed games at the same time. I think they played a game in Adelaide that they lost to Brisbane, I know, the State Basketball Centre, and I've talked to Simon Mitchell after, and he was saying, I don't care about that game. Everyone's going to look about that game. But he said he could not get over the fact that they couldn't beat Adelaide even with the roster they had. And I think that's the whole no excuses thing. Even though we've got injuries, they still should have got – so some more wins than they potentially had. But, yeah, you're right. The continuity is so important in the NBA. I think it was more important for them based on the way they put this roster together. I think the starting five was really strong when they were healthy, but it was so reliant on them all being out there together. Trey Kell looked really good when he had Gary Brown to take the pressure off him, scoring the ball where he could be a really good two-way player. Rowdy, when he was healthy, started to put together some games that were – We'd known and loved for Rowdy for some time. And then Alan Williams, as you said, I think it's a great re-signing. He's a perfect fit for everything that they do. He's a great person, uh, great for the culture. He has one of the worst game day coffee orders of all time. So I don't know how he's going to survive <laughs> in Melbourne. Apparently, he's not changing it. It's a, it's a disgrace. But again, that's something that you want the fans to get behind. He, he's really good for that. Um, and then, yeah, Mitch Creek, he's going to continue to be there. And it's about what they put around. I... I I think they're going to go – you'd think they'd go with that Foxwell route now. He, he's played enough mm-hmm. games where he's shown those glimpses. And, again, we spoke with this in every team we've covered so far. Who are the young one or two players on the roster that we can say, look, we want to keep you to really watch you grow over the next three years that you can be a massive impact for us and move on or whatever from that after those three years? I think Foxwell is going to be that guy for the, for the Phoenix and playing uh, for Eltham. NBL one around that region as well. And I wouldn't be surprised if other teams saying, look, we really want to use Kyle Adams services on our team. Uh, we know his name was floated around at Tasmania a little bit uh, before he re-signed at the Phoenix. And I, I think there's other clubs that could potentially pop up. And I mean, you look at the Illawarra Hawks. So he, he started there uh, as a development player and as a, as a young fella. So maybe that's somewhere he looks to go back and just be a kind of spark off the bench. I just think about this season, how good would he have been off the bench for the Hawks who couldn't score the ball for 75% of the season? Yes, they couldn't defend, but that was one of the the different uh, needs for them at certain different points of time. So I wouldn't be surprised if they go down Foxhill, but it all starts with the coach. Where, where do you go? And again, we keep saying checkbook. That's the way, that's the lay of the land for all professional sports. Is it something you say, look, Gorge, what's it going to take? Because we, this is this is your home. This is what we see you building. I know you said you were trying to come back, but is there any sort of thing, any sort of number, any sort of agreement we can put in place to get you to come back and we want to build this thing into something special? And if it's not that, you still need, I think, a really strong person to come in because they've been close. That game, that fall apart game against, I mean, it's Bryce Cotton, so it's a little different. Bryce Cotton did his thing in that fourth quarter as well to really, but that was an almighty collapse. We talk about Adelaide's collapse up in Cairns. That was a really, really disappointing collapse for them to end their season. Really, as you mentioned, I think it was a really good comparison. They should have gone to that grand final series two years ago or three years ago when they lost uh, in Sydney in front of no fans Mm -hmm. in COVID. They had that at halftime. Full control of the game. Full control of the game. It was the same thing with Perth. And you mentioned Cotton. Cotton's going to be Cotton, but... I mean, they won. They won five. Switched the whole fourth quarter. Mm. Like, are you, are you like he's all right? He's got twenty. All right, he's got twenty-five. All right, you're like, are you, like this is not working. Like, get the ball out of his hands. Even if you're giving up a wide open shot to someone else, Thomas or someone else, or 
Um, Travis, like you live and die by that. Don't don't live and die by Bryce Cotton's going to do Bryce Cotton things. Mm. Um, so that that was kind of more where I kind of was like, oh, is, is Mitchell really the guy? Like that, that that was an easy, not an easy adjustment, but it was like we got to get the ball out of his hands. Like <laughs> if we lose to someone else hitting it, so be it. So um, they're free agents, though. Yeah, Kyle Adam and, and and Foxwell. I think you have you can only keep one of those for the minutes that are available at the backup spot. So it'll be interesting to see the direction they go. I think Foxwell is probably the front runner just because he's younger, a lot more ceiling. We kind of know what Adam is. Dan Pennell is a free agent. I mean, a, a workhorse, good backup, uh, good good locker room presence. You know, an effort guy. He's probably not more than a, a fifteen minute guy on on a decent team. Uh, Gary Brown and Trey Cal, they're free agents. So it'll be interesting to see what what direction they go, whether those imports come back. I've right now I've got it right on my head because I'm still thinking about that fourth quarter. And in hindsight, it's a beautiful thing. But the Webster brothers were benched in that fourth quarter. This is the first time I've thought that why you wouldn't throw out a little box and one in that last in that last ten minutes. Who else was going to really score the ball to create enough points to come back the way they did? Again, hindsight's a beautiful thing, and that's probably why I'm not a coach and that's why I'm sitting here. But they've got some, yeah, some big decisions to make. And again, another one of those changing of the guards. And I think I think it's a good thing. I, I think, yeah, Simon Mitchell stepping away is going to be good for him. I think that there was a lot of pressure continuously put on him, whether warranted or not, to succeed with the teams they had uh, over the last couple of seasons. And now it gives him a chance to have a bit of a fresh start. And I know he's focused for, with his family and for the Phoenix as well. I think besides winning a title, he can tick off absolutely everything that he wanted to do in the first four years of, of a new club and, and a new franchise in the league. I think they've done a really good job to get to where they are. But Big things are next. So it's it's not really one that you want to go. Okay, we're going to rebuild from the bottom back up. It's you. You've been close enough now. How do you take that next step? And maybe it is just with a fresh start from the top. Yeah, they're in a, he's left them in good hands. Mm. I think that's a, the, the important point. I don't think they're in a position, kind of like like United or uh, you know. Brisbane or Illawarra, you got to blow it up. I think they've got good pieces, yeah. and they're just going to make the right decisions around them. That which obviously starts with the coach. So I think they're they're a potential team that didn't do as well. That could be really good next season with the right pieces. All right, Perth, uh, as we said, always a chance with Cotton. I mean, he he's he's one of the best players in the league, uh, one of the best players of all time in the NBL that we've seen you know in, in a long long time from the import spot. But for the, for me, it was just no defense and rebounding was a clearing thing. They had so much offensive weapons, and we we kind of thought that they were a dangerous team to play in a final series just because they can get yeah. hot, like similar to Adelaide, right? Like you're worried because they can fill it up and have a forty point quarter, and then you've lost the game. But over the course of a three or five game series, you're like, I just you know that even if they got through that plane, they just defensively and. And they just couldn't get rebounds. Um, even, you know, they didn't need to get many rebounds because they'll, you know, taking it out of the net a lot of the time. But that that was glaring. So they'll they'll address that. That's probably their biggest thing they need to address. They have the they have the horses to score. Um Manic, I think, got better and better. The question is, does he stay in Australia? Um Webster Brothers, I mean, does that work long term? I mean, very talented, but you know, the the, the their history hasn't shown that that's worked out great in the past, but you give everyone a second and third chance. And I, I love them talent-wise, but together, who knows? Uh, Blanchfield just recently, you know, did real well with the Australian Boomers, albeit it was against games that probably shouldn't have even gone ahead. Um, you know, it was by 40 and 50, but he found, you know, he found his three ball. He found found something there. So maybe these games, you know, for the Australian national team these last couple of days it will help him. But the Blanchfield and Norton thing is an elephant in the room. Big budget locals that, 
weren't playing really. Norton got a little bit of minutes in that in that in that game against uh, Southeast and, and contributed well. But for what you're paying those two guys, you need more. Um, but yeah, I think they they just need a bit of toughness inside the paint. You can't continue to have undersized bigs or you know stretches like Manic and, and expect to, to be good defensively. Yeah, uh, you hit the nail on the head with defensive rebounding. We were saying it. I mean, early on. In the season, we we're highlighting the defensive numbers, and some people were, were jumping on and saying, "Yeah, but it, they're just raw numbers. It's not actually the way things are going." But bottom line is, you've got to be able to rip down those rebounds that are available, and they were just getting smashed on the glass, and it, it became a, a huge issue. I mean, Bryce Cotton was leading rebounder a couple of games, which all credit to Bryce, he's actually a pretty decent rebounder for his size, but that shouldn't be happening. Uh, when you've got the the likes of Brady Manning to Sean Thomas, these big guys, and I think I was one who was calling for even little opportunity. You've got a DP and Ollie Hayes-Brown, a big unit. Just He's got five fouls. If you need a bit of toughness just to try and rip down some boards, just throw him out there for five minutes. Just say, just see how many boards you can get. We know Majuk Majuk barely played as well, and there's some big decisions to happen. I know the rumor is they've had those conversations with McDowell-White as well to try and slot in alongside Bryce Cotton, and I think they are in a better spot than a lot of other teams where – You've got you're always going to have your own guy. So we've got Bryce Cotton at the top. Now, what pieces do we put around Bryce Cotton to be the best team that we can be? And you have those conversations with Bryce as well, I'm sure. Okay, what pieces do you need to succeed? And the the question mark around Blanchfield and Norton is going to be a big one as well. And I wouldn't be surprised if some teams are, are chatting to Mitch Norton because I still think he can be very very valuable in this league. He's one of the best guard defenders uh, going around. Uh, I think he's very like Shaili. Bashaley's offense has definitely taken him above uh, Mitch Norton in the last couple of seasons, but many teams could use that presence from Mitch Norton. Uh, that leadership as well. He's been around the league for a very long time. So you're saying in the form of a buyout then? Because he's contracted, yeah, right? I think, both yeah, contract, yeah, in terms of that, where you have the conversation and once you put the rest of the roster together or you're starting to do that, maybe it's the conversation you have with, with Norto. Say, look, I'm not sure how many minutes you're going to play this year. Maybe there's other teams that have had a conversation. Let's just come to some sort of agreement where we try and go in a different direction, but you don't get hurt too badly and you get to go and play. And he's still, I think he's, what, 30? Or he might be 31? Yeah. So he's got plenty of years left. There's no point for him to be riding the bench at at this point in his career when he can offer something to another team. So I wouldn't be surprised if if there's a buyout between one of those two. Both is going to be hard, I would say. Uh, But again, it's it's going to be interesting for Perth. I'm bringing Brady Maddock back, to be honest. I think if you can bring Mm -hmm. the right pieces around, a lot of people were harsh on him early on. This kid just came out of college. I know he had the import tag, but he came out of fresh out of college. He was a completely different player to John Mooney, so it's unfair to compare those two, the way they went about their business. But he started to figure it all out and really started to to be promising for the Wildcats. And another one that you think, okay, we've got Brady Manic here. He's he's young. He's going to continue to get better. Well, now we've got Brady Manic, Bryce Cotton. How do we figure everything else out? We need a that dominant force inside, obviously, that, that five spot. I thought they may have made a move to Sean Thomas midway through the season. Um, again, he had some sparks where he looked really, really promising, but I think that's the one piece in terms of you mentioned their defense, their rebounding that they struggled to have consistently. Uh, and then you go from there. So it'll be very interesting. Again, the, the question's going to keep coming up about Bryce Cotton's citizenship. 
I don't know. I think you start after planning now. You just have to plan without it. All I know is that I applied for my wife's citizenship in July last year and she became a citizen two weeks ago. So I'm sorry. Oh, wow. I'm sorry, Perth fans. <laughs> I don't know what you've done. I don't know what he's done. But I thought, okay. It has to be, you know, there's some theories about yeah, you Hope there's nothing on the record from the US. No. You know, that, 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 that's it. Well, I think it's- That's the only thing I can think, I think of. I think it's the visa, the visa way of, the way I was trying to read it and understand is, because he's on a certain visa and my wife was a permanent resident beforehand, which might have made it easier. Okay. But maybe that's the route that they could have gone down. I don't know if they can visa-wise. It's hard to understand. But he's been here long enough. Surely then two years ago you can apply for maybe a permanent resident. He only went home recently, I think, in this off-season for the first time in, what, three or four years? So he's been in Australia long enough where he, maybe he could have done mm. that. And once you've got that, I believe, you just click online, pay a couple hundred bucks, and you just sit in the queue. And I, I told my wife when we did it, I said – I've used the comparison that Bryce is still trying to go. I said, this, this could be five and a half years. And then we got a call three weeks ago saying, please sit your test next Friday and go from there. And all of a sudden, <laughs> she's a bloody Australian yeah. citizen. So sorry, Red Army, but it is possible. <laughs> We've just got, they've just got to get done as soon as possible. It just kills their cap. It does. That's what it mm. does. It destroys their cap because for those not familiar with how the cap works, if you can get him citizenship, you, you put him as a marquee and only 250 of his, yeah. whatever you're paying him, which is rumored to be circa 1 million, counts to your cap. Right, so you're still paying him the the full threshold of his contracts. So you're not saving that money, but it doesn't put you into the luxury tax where they've been in that tax, you yeah. know, for a number of years because he's he's, he's rightfully the highest paid player in the NBL. Um, so that that's where it kills you. Yeah, yeah, that's and that's the key, isn't it? When everyone says, like, "Oh, well, you know, Bryce is," you're paying whatever for Bryce at this rate. You mentioned he's one of the greatest we've seen in the league. So yes, that's just that comes with the territory, but. It's just got to hurry up and get done. They've got to figure out a way to get that done to not only benefit him, but to benefit the club, benefit the organization, to make it a lot, a lot easier on them going forward. And they're free agents remaining. So we've touched on Manic and Thomas, uh, Jesse Wagstaff, question marks whether he goes another year. Majuk Majuk didn't really play much at all, considering they needed rebounding and physicality. He still didn't get minutes. Uh, it's not the writings on the wall for him, I think, there. And then Travis, free mm. agent, see where he, where he ends up. Does he go overseas and chase the bag in Asia or does he have those deals available? Does he go elsewhere in the NBL? Yeah, uh, Travis is a big one. And again, I've only ever imagined him in a Wildcats uniform and – he showed some really promising glimpses, but he's done that for a couple of seasons. So it'll be very intriguing to see, is he one they can rely on in NBL 24 to say, okay, now you've had, you've been drafted, you had your your year where you played, you started in the point guard spot for a while, then you were starting in the three, four spot. He is that versatile player. Can you take that next leap and do it consistently for an entire season? Because that's what we're after. But I'm sure every team will be having that conversation with him and, He's still so young. I think a lot of us forget how young he is because he's just been around the league for, for such a long time. And it'll be interesting to see if he wants to to go and earn some good money. I know he's happy at home. His best mate, Luke Jackson, just got the trade back to Frio. So all the, everything that points in the right direction of him staying. But again, money speaks volumes. And I wouldn't be surprised if some teams overseas are saying, well, he could really use you for a couple of years. Yeah, he, show, he shows you enough. He shows you enough, but then sometimes disappears mm. and then shows you enough again. And you're like, you can see the potentials there. So I hope he has another great off season of work and, and, and stays in the NBL because he's a fun player to, to follow. All right, Cairns, uh, very, very balanced, long athletic team. You look at them uh, positionally, they have a lot of guys that are very similar in size and length and, and they, they play to that style very well. I, I thought they were fantastic. Um, even in that playoff series, the semifinal series against the Kings, which ended last week, I was nervous, man. Yeah. Um, you know, we, we probably shouldn't have won the first game in the Sydney Kings. You know, they, they had control. They were up 10 going into halftime or nine 
and then we put to get, we finally woke up and decided to guard and kept them to, to single digits, I believe, in the third quarter, and then and then won the game. Um, but a lot of underdog types on that team, and they just fit and mesh well. Uh, Wardenberg, an absolute gem. Mm. Love watching him play. Like very highly skilled, knows how to play the game. Pinned out a fantastic season, as we know. Um, Bull Cowell, I think, is going to be a player in this league for a long, long time. Um, re- real, a lot of potential. Just needs to figure out the fouling. He's been fouled trouble a lot, <laughs> but he was he was really good for them, especially being their best defender. I think he's, you know, we had Wani uh, Wani uh, Lobolak uh, a couple of seasons ago, and I compare him to him with much better offense, uh, especially defensively. Uh, ben Air continues to get better for me. DJ Hogg just continues oh, to, to get better yeah. and better month on month. And I, I didn't think he was that good defensively. He, he showed me a little bit. I thought he was kind of, you know, just standard import, like kind of just let me get my buckets and leave me alone on the defensive end. But, you know, not just shot blocking, but he can compete defensively. But they they have a lot of decisions. And, and being a small market community team, they have a lot of great players that, these big clubs are going to start throwing money bags out. They're free agents real quick before you get into it. Pinder, Bull DJ Hogg, and Shannon Scott. So four of their most instrumental guys, I think, on that roster are free agents. Um, they probably could bring back one, maybe two, I think, um, but all four, no chance. I'm nervous, Bogues. I'm really nervous for this Cairns type end's offseason. And uh, I, I loved what they did this year and what Adam Ford's building. I think he's perfect for that community. We talk about culture, the culture that he's built in Cairns, the culture that they're going to play with is always going to be different to any other team around the league. That, that again, a small market team, but that touristy town and the way they bought in and he he kind of went out there and said, look, I'm going to get a group of young guys, give them the confidence to unlock their potential and continue to grow, work through mistakes. And I'm also going to go out and get a bunch of guys who want a second chance. Ben Eyre was one of those guys who wanted a second chance. He found Paul Koala Diamond in the rough, as in running around at the Knox Raiders, not, not having a massive NBL one South season. So, and then all of the, what he's unlocked there, but I'm extremely nervous because as you as you said, no matter what, they are a small market team and how you try and keep a core long enough together to get the job done. To Jim McCall signing two years is great. That may help DJ Ho want to stick around. But DJ Hogue's price, whatever he was on, oh, his prices, he'll be one of the highest paid way up. In off season. That's yeah. going to go way up. He was unbelievable. And Keanu Pinder, I just can't see it. Again, you go from a superstar to an MVP caliber season. And Adam Ford said last year he'd take a pay cut to keep Qual and Pinder. Well, if he takes another pay cut, he's going to be paying the club <laughs> to coach. So it's just, it's yeah. just not going to be able to happen. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I think it's, yeah, you've got to do McCall and Paul Qual. I think that's one you continue to try and keep it and to grow around. And then you really have to wait up. Where do we go? Do we try and keep Pinder? Do we try and keep um, TJ Hogue? There's been rumors that Keanu Pinder's been talking to some Asian clubs as well. And that's what worries me in terms of the locals we've seen so often. Asian clubs love that really elite scoring guard or a really good athletic big man. And Drolawala Chul went over there. I think Pinder's one that could be potentially getting paid very nicely from a club and, and head overseas. But I hope not because I love his growth in the last three seasons. And as I said, I'm a massive fan of what Cairns do. And you're right. they I thought they were going to give the Kings trouble. I thought they were going to give you guys trouble uh, over the course of a series, and they did that. And that's kind of what they did in the regular season. They play a similar brand of style as you, the Kings where they play fast and they play free and they kind of play with that swagger about them that makes them who they are. And that's what makes the Kings who they are. They know 
that they're talented enough, they know that they're good enough, they know they're well coached enough to get the job done, and that's the way Cairns do it. It's just a different style, but it is that speed, and it's fun to watch. And in the end, it makes for a really uh, fun three-game semifinal series. And I thought it could have gone either way, and Sydney got the job done. So a, a huge plus, a plus 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 season for for Cairns, no doubt. And uh, yeah, now the off season comes, and as I said, I'm I'm very worried. Every time I get a notification popping up from NBL on my phone, I, I'm worried that it's coming <laughs> from Cairns because. I'm not. I'm not worried in terms of Adam Ford. I'm sure put together a, a, a roster similar in terms of the personalities and everything to to compete on the same level of the energy they play with. It's the personnel that worries me because I love what they played. Play. They were one of the funnest teams to watch all season long. Yeah, they, they just got after it. They um, they hoisted them up. They got a lot of threes up. Uh, we we kind of had what went in our favor was that they burnt out late in games. Mm. They, they with the injuries they had, they didn't have enough horses, and and forty loved to to play his guys thirties plus. So we were banking on good runs in those in those fourth quarters, and and it worked out. But even our you know game three, the scoreline definitely didn't. It didn't the game was much closer than a fifteen point game. We got it done at the end of the game, hit some big shots, and and but up until five minutes left in that fourth, I mean, me and Paul Smith were sitting there like, holy shit, like it's going to be a tight game, it's going to be a nervous game. So, but yeah, credit to Cairns, all the fans there. I went up for game two. They got a fantastic environment there to play in. Very respectful fans, but also will get after you a little bit within reason. Nothing too derogatory, which I love to see, and it was a great environment. So. Good luck to them keeping their big dogs. All right, Tasmania, the last one before we get to our quick grand final preview. Uh, another grinded out season, uh, the Tassie way. Um, I didn't think they'd be good just because I, I felt like they had less scoring. Mm. You know, I, I felt like they had a little bit more scoring last season, um, albeit they had some guys that could get their own bucket a bit more. But they, they play well, so well together. And, and Roth has them on the same page. They're like a fine, finely tuned oiled machine. Um, they, they they don't miss a beat. They they ever rarely you have to beat them. You know yeah. they're not going to beat themselves with turnovers or with bad defensive possessions. Like you have to go out there and wrestle and fight and tooth and nail and, and try to get the win. That's the only way you're going to beat them. But I think Adams they missed from last season. He was a guy that you could just throw the ball to in a shitty offensive possession, which they have a lot of because they grind it out. They try to run the full twenty four. So sometimes they get stuck with having really bad possessions. They could just throw it to Adams, and we saw in the United series last season. He can just get you, you know, six, six, seven, eight, nine points in three possessions of just bad possessions because he's that talented. But Magne in a full season, full season since his injury, somewhat full season. I thought he was better. He was getting his legs back as it went and helped them having a having a rim presence. But they're, they're tough. They they play real well together. Great fan base down there. I didn't think they'd be as good this season. I had them kind of falling falling out of the six, unfortunately, um, just because I, I couldn't figure out the math with Brisbane probably being in there and Adelaide, who both capitulated. But um, mm. they they overachieved again, in my opinion. But they they have they're in a similar position to Cairns, uh, Pete. They're they're you know McVeigh's a free agent, Milton Doyle, Rashad Kelly, Isaac White, Josh Majette, Jared Weeks, Clint Steindl, Matt Kenyon. That's pretty much their whole roster. Uh, I think McVeigh's probably the one they have to bring back. It seems yep. like he embraces being in Tassie. And Milton Doyle was fantastic. They're probably the two guys you circle straight away. And I think on, on the rest, if you can get Kelly back for a reasonable price, maybe you do it. But the rest you can kind of, I think, you know, find maybe better options, maybe around about the same price point. Yeah, no doubt. Again, I, I hate being on record, but it was all season long. I had them written off again this season. I didn't think they'd be able to do it back-to-back. -back. I thought the emotion – of what they went through last season with the fairy tale first year in get to a grand final series i thought it wasn't there this year i thought they'd just come back to reality but there's no such thing when you've got the culture that scott ross created and you're right the fans down there the way they've embraced the community that jack jones embraced the community and the community's embraced it back it's just awesome to see and you're right jack mcveigh really right now has to be 
basically a Tasmanian jack jumper for life, you'd think. That's that's someone you want since the club started. He's continuing to get better. But when you think of the jack jumpers, I think of obviously Scott Roth, but then I think of Jack McVay. He's that kind of personality that buys into exactly the culture they have. So you want to get that done. Milton Dorr, that has to be a no-brainer, doesn't it? You just have to bring back Milton Dorr, all NBL first team, but he was terrific. It's hard to find those guys, as I mentioned, who come in and have such a massive impact in their first year in the league from playing all all overseas in different leagues. Tim, the way he came in, I think it took him probably six games or something to understand, okay, I know this offense is slow, it's methodical, we try and grind it out, but I still need to play the way I play, and it kind of ended up working in their favor down the end of the sea, uh, down the end of the season. Will Magday, him playing in the off season coming up, going overseas, is the best possible thing, not just for him, but for Jack Jumpers as well. So he continued to play, get his legs underneath him, come back, uh, and not miss a beat. I think we saw it over the course of an entire league wide standpoint. Anyone who'd been playing in the off season, whether it be NBL one or had gone overseas, when they came back to start the regular season, they hadn't missed a beat. They were really playing at a high level. I think that's awesome for Will Magnay. Um, Rashad Kelly's going to be an interesting one, but I also wouldn't be go past having the conversation with Josh Majette in terms of having that veteran leadership on and off the floor. He's another one who's really embraced Tasmania. I think his price might, might go down a little bit if he, they can bring someone in maybe to have that strong local presence, maybe that type of, okay, he, he's going to be that backup guard. Who can we have as a starting point guard who can potentially play off the ball? Because all I look back on is that three-game series against New Zealand. That's the three games, the only three games that Majet has not missed, uh, has not played in in the entire Jack Jumpers history, and they missed him. They just missed him being on the floor in terms of his leadership. He's a pest on the defensive end. He loves to chat. He loves to get underneath and underneath the skin. And I mean, to me, it's what Sean Bruce is for the Kings in terms of you've got a guy who you can rely on and he's going to come in. He's going to be a pest. He's going to get underneath the skin of the opposition. He's going to come in. He's going to control the point guard spot. He has been very inconsistent with his shot though with Majet. That's the one thing that I, I do worry about. If you can put some other scoring around and you can get another big name import alongside Milton Doyle, maybe you can try and slot in Josh Majet in terms of having that consistency and trying to keep that rollover. But yeah, another big offseason coming because last year, I don't think they changed. I mean, they added Isaac White for an injury replacement, but I don't think they changed any of their locals because they were all on multi-year deals, I believe, yep. from last year. So Correct. now they've got a chance to do that. I don't see Isaac White going back. I think he's going to end up going somewhere else, but he's proven, raise, yep. yeah, he's proven enough uh, to get the uh, another opportunity. And I think Tasmania is okay with that. When I went down there speaking to a couple of people, I think they were just happy that he could shine and they could understand that he does belong in the league. I, I just don't see it happening. Sean McDonald, I'm sure he's not getting paid like a development player, but they've got him in the development player role next season as well, which is an absolute steal in terms of the way they can go about recruiting. But this is a big off-season for them, definitely, and they want to continue to get the job done because the fans now, you've, you've got yourself in a position where the fans are expecting to play in finals every year. They've done it two years in a row. Why can't they do it in another year with the culture and the style that Scott Roth's created? And as you said, Tasmania, it's not for everyone. So Jack McVay's bought in. Milton Doyle seems to love his time down there. Scott Roth obviously loves his time down there. How do you continue to make sure that no matter what happens, no matter who you bring in, that part of the club never slips? Yeah, I agree. And, and it's 
I think even if they have a season or two that aren't as good as these this season and, and last season, I think the fans will still show up. Oh, and for they're sure. very supportive. And they're very appreciative that someone's actually gone down there, put a pro team down there. We know we have the debate about AFL football and all that kind of stuff. So it goes without saying they've done a fantastic job. Jack Jumpers fans, you know, we, we know about the rivalry with Sydney, but good on you all. Uh, I think the league and everyone around respects everything that's going on down there. So we'll be interested to see if they can keep that team together. All right, let's get to the grand final preview real quick. New Zealand versus Sydney. I think this has uh, – every potential to go five games. Yep. Uh, I really do. I think that's what I'm nervous about. I'm going to have to jump on a plane <laughs> for game four, most likely to New Zealand. So a long-ass long ass flight uh, for me anyway. But, um, you know, Sydney grinding out a tough series versus Cairns. Reminiscent of kind of the series Sydney had against Illawarra last season um, on the way to the championship, even though it was 2-0. It was very grindy, tough, back and forth, and it was well prepped well prepped us for the grand final. New Zealand coasting in game one versus Tasmania. They get a loss in game two and then they beat the crap out of them in game three. They were somewhat threatened in game three a little bit, but then when they turned it on, Bobby Brown Jr. was sensational, came in and lit it up. Uh, McDowell White, we've spoken about having a fantastic year. I think this series has a potential for a lot of cross matches. Mm. Uh, a lot of There'll be a lot of funky stuff. There'll be small ball lineups to Sydney. Will that take part and out of the paint? Um Basically, you know, are they going to start parting on on X and try to muck, or if they start him on on, on Suarez, Suarez uh, does it brings Parton out of the paint where he's valuable, right? So there's those cross matches which we think will play a part. Does New Zealand go small to counter? Does Sydney go big? You know, I'm really interested to see how that all goes. And we've got two coaches that are, you know, strategists at the best of times who who, who aren't afraid to. You mentioned the box and one in the Southeast Melbourne series. They're not afraid to do that kind of shit. Mm. I'm going to try something different. I'm going to try something out of the box. Let's throw this at them and see what happens. So I'm interested to see how that goes in this series. Um, I mean, the outliers for me, I mean, DJ's in a slump, obviously, uh, shooting slump for the Sydney Kings. Um, that should worry all you say to him. Though. That should yeah, worry. Yeah, all you say to him is, you have a good series and no one remembers your slump. Correct. <laughs> like he won a championship exactly. again and he kind of found it a little bit late in that Cairns game, hit some shots and and um, found himself a little bit. I think Simon, if I'm a betting man, will get the – Justin Simon will get the job on on Brown Jr., mm. I'd assume. Um, but I think they'll, the series also will come down to the cross matches and which bench player can turn a game from each team. That's what it's going to be. And we know I know Brown comes off, off the bench. I classify him more as a starter because he plays big minutes. He's a, he's a big scorer for him. But it's going to be – your Sean Bruce's, it's going to be your Vodanovic. It's going to be one of these guys that comes in and has a 10-minute spell of turning the game a little bit. And that's that's the fun part of this series for me because both teams have very good bench players. They have a very good mix of athleticism and shooting, and I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, I cannot wait. I, I did a little thing with Fox News earlier, and I was trying to also preview how this would go. I see it going five games once again. It kind of brings back those memories for in 2018 when we played Adelaide in that five-game series where – Every, every time we played at home, both teams had that extra leg up at home. And I really am so excited to see the way that both these coaches go about it. I think you, you hit the nail on the head that there's going to be so many different things to, to teeter with. And that's why I'm looking forward to it potentially going five games because what advantage you may have in game one might not be there in game two. Well, you might not be in the second half of game one. So all the coaches are going to have to continue to be, be ready to adapt and change. And that's what we're going to see from both Chase and Modi Mayo as well. And yeah, I, I always know how important the bench units are for a grand final series, and that's always going to be the case. And Sean Bruce, he's got the experience, he, he, but I love that Chase Buford has he's put the trust in everyone in the bench. I mean, he's probably the one guy who plays the bench normally together as many bench players as possible, 
and, and any past basketball player at the pro level or any level can attest to this. If you've gone through a season where in most 90% of practices it's starters versus bench, I guarantee you that bench squad's winning, if not the majority, a damn near majority of those scrimmages throughout the course of the yeah. season. Because they Cause play the starters well, want to rest. Yeah, that, that too. Yeah. But so they but they understand what it's like to play with one another. And it feels like Chase yep. Buford knows, okay, well, I'm going to make a couple of subs here. But in certain periods of the game, he's going to have Sean Bruce, Angus Glover, Kuat Noy, um, Galloway, and Jordan Hunter, three, potentially even four of them on the floor at one stage because they know how to play with one another. He's got the trust in them to do that. So these are the kind of little funky things. And the big one for me, I did try to understand, try to understand is what happens with Derek Pardon. I mean, the finalists for Defensive Player of the Year and – I think if you try and put him on Cooks, I think that's where he can potentially get in a bit of trouble trying to uh, slide his feet at the high post. I think he does it very well, but that's where Cooks is going to have the advantage. But you put him on Suarez and Suarez's ability to shoot the three, if he comes away from the paint, then it's a different ball game. And again, you've got that fast-paced nature of the Sydney Kings. It's so fun to watch compared to that really physical grinding out style of play with a little sprinkle of that fast pace from uh, from New Zealand. And I, I do think Sean Bruce holds a lot of the keys in terms of you want someone who's going to be a bit of a pest and annoy Will McDowell White, that's going to be Bruce. As soon as he checks into the game, he's going to go right up right up to his chest in the full core. We saw what he could bait to Jim McCall into. Now, I don't think Will McDowell White is anywhere as emotional on the floor as to Jim McCall, but I think that Sean Bruce does that over over five games. I think his role is going to be really important for, for Sydney's success, but I'm excited. I see this going five games, and if it does, I tell you what, that's going to be a, a rocking arena. Could I spank arena for game five? Yeah, and I'm, I'm judge, judging probably by game two, there'll be a scuffle. Um, yeah. Game one, everyone's going to feel themselves out, and then it's just going to be a grind. It's going to be... You know, I see I see New Zealand as a as a as a I, I see Tasmania as New Zealand light, right? Yeah. So I think New Zealand and Tassie play a similar game. New Zealand's just got more talent and more scoring, but they they play very similar, hold and yeah. grab and physical and and they're they're kind of the two opposite teams, which is what you want to see. We don't see it in the NBA as much. You know, yeah. NBA now is all whoever makes the most threes wins, five out, pick and roll, you know, same old shit, switch one through five. The beauty of international basketball is you still have that 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 old school NBA, NBA mentality of like, okay, you got Phil's triangle versus, you know, Pistons that are trying to beat you up and you got Showtime Lakers versus Boston who are a bit slow. Like it's, that's gone from the NBA. So that's why I love watching NBL and even EuroLeague because you got you got different styles. You got teams that want to post the shit out of you and you got teams that want to hoist threes. And you're like, oh, which one's going to win? And this is that series. You know, New Zealand's hold and grab, grind it out, longer possessions, get the right shot. Whereas Sydney's like first available good shot, shoot that thing. We're going to switch sometimes, then we're not. And I'm, I'm, I'm excited. As, a, as an owner of the Kings outside of that, as a basketball fan in general, I think this is a great series. And reminded all the fans in Sydney, uh, kicks off game one on this Friday coming up. So get your tickets to get out there. We're hoping for a good crowd. Game two is on the Sunday. And then the following Friday is game three. Let's hope that's all we need for the Sydney Kings, Pete. But I doubt it. But I appreciate your time and giving us a bit of your thoughts. You've covered the season the whole year. Had your ear to the ground. It's been a great year again. And um, let's hope it goes five. Thanks, man. Thanks for having me. I'll tell you what, I just had a thought of, we talk about grand final MVP predictions. I'm not sure how it's going to fall, but if I had to think about someone I'm pretty confident with, I'm going Justin Simon. Okay. Because so you don't look at numbers as much? No, I don't just want based to look on at defensively? Numbers. That's what I'm talking about. If, they, if he does what he does extremely well at a higher level than anybody else in the league and limits or makes Barry Brown's life, uh, Barry Brown Jr.'s life tough, 
I think you've got to really look at him and, and say that you had a tremendous season and a tremendous series. I would not be opposed to thinking that Justin Simon could get the nod there. And if he does, I, I like that. Let's get away from the numbers. Let's see who impacts the game the best. Andre Iguodala. I, I played with him in, in that championship run with the Golden State Warriors and we won it and he won the MVP and his numbers weren't great offensively, but he made LeBron work. And LeBron still had great numbers, yep. but he made him work. Correct. You know, his usage wasn't as good. His percentages weren't as good. So I would love it. I mean, that's a nice little smoky for everyone out there. So keep a lookout for that one. But um, yeah, we'll see you We'll see you at the couple of grand final games. And thanks again. No worries, mate. Thanks for having me. Let's get rogue.